0: None of that. Or something you've forgotten. See, everybody's forgotten something. You left it out. Just missed it. See? See? And so I can bring this out what you've forgotten if I ask you, who are you? Will you say I'm Paul Jones or whatever your name happens to be? I say, oh no, no. no don't give me that stuff. Who are you really? Who are you?
1: five four three two one what's up we're back in the lodge today
2: sky daddy oh, thanks for having me i've been looking forward to this
1: dude i've been looking forward to it too i'm glad i finally had you on you are the drummer in brown sugar and the blind albinos is that right that
2: is completely 100 correct
1: now uh you guys have been making some noise lately what's going on
2: Oh, we got a couple gigs coming out. We just released our first EP, self-titled, Brown Sugar and the Blind Albinos. And we have two gigs coming up. November 5th at K.J. Farrell's in Belmore. We go on at 9 p.m. And November 30th out in St. James on Long Island, we are uh, playing at Comiskey Park. Not the baseball stadium, (laughs) the bar. On uh, November 30th, uh, time to be determined.
1: So look at you guys. You're spanning all the way from... West Long Island to the Far East Long Island. Very impressive. I'm glad you guys are reaching audiences from all over. Oh, yeah. You got it. You got to Spread it around. Spread it around, dude. And I got to say, I'm excited for the November 5th show because that's right down the block here. Uh, KJ Farrell's is a good venue. I think you guys are going to bring it because they got, they got ruined a boogie at KJ Farrell's. And if there's one thing about you guys, especially with your live sound... Gotta have room to boogie, man.
2: Oh, yeah. For the audience and for us ourselves. I mean, I'm the one who sits on the throne in the background. (laughs) So I'm just swinging back and forth. But uh, David, Andrew, Blanco, and especially Brown Sugar, they're always ready to bounce around on stage.
1: So how long have you been playing drums for?
2: Uh, probably about, let's see, probably about uh, seven or eight years now. I I started it kind of late compared to most people. Well, what made you want to pick it up? Uh... Well, the first time I ever played any sort of drums was when Rock Band came out.
1: No and, way. Yep. Yo, I love this. Please keep going.
2: And uh, with, with the guitars, you know they have the buttons on the frets, but it doesn't translate over very not well to all. an actual guitar. But the drums, and this is why I brought these, you're going do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And it's not the same as an actual drum kit where the hi-hats are on the other side of the snare. But it's very similar.
1: You know, you're you're working the same reflexes.
2: Same reflexes. You still have to play in a rhythm. Yep. In order to hit the notes on the screen, you have to keep time well. So you can stay with the song. And you know the part
1: in my memory, the parts were like elaborate in the sense that they did have like hi hat snare patterns that would make sense. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like you were just hitting a random part of the drum for no
2: reason. There was a you know there was a formula to how they were writing those drum parts. Exactly. And uh so it turned out my brother, st- who is five years younger than me, shout out to Robbie, started playing the drums in his elementary school. And uh, my parents bought him a full-on drum kit, like full-sized, which was, to me, stunning at the time. And uh he gave it up a couple years later, and my family was ready to throw it out. And I said, well, you know, I've been enjoying rock band all these years. I'll give it a try. Amazing. And so I got a pair of drumming headphones. Got an iPod and just started practicing to my favorite songs at the time. Holy shit!
1: See, you know what? I love this because you know we talk about gaming a lot on this podcast, and this is another example of you know had you never played video games, who knows, right? Oh, I would have. I would have never picked it up. We wouldn't have the gift that is your drumming. We wouldn't have the gift that is Brown Sugar and the Blind Albinos. That's that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. I kind of, I kind of I, I like your little, your little origin story. So where did the nickname Sky Daddy come from? I got it. Is, be- that, is that just, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've been playing with this idea all day and like Sky Daddy. I'm like, are you just like kind of just looking at what the normal like thought of God is and just layman's terms?
2: A little bit, but uh, I think most of it came from when we practice. We're in this little practice room, and the drums are suspended maybe a foot above everything else. So I'm sitting in the back, looking over the rest of the band, just a little bit taller on my drum throne. And me calling it a drum throne definitely played into it. Interesting. The Sky
1: Daddy sits atop the drum throne. So it came from you being elevated over the rest of the band in your
2: practice space. Mm Mm-hmm. That's cool. Although I will say, Brother Teresa's name came first, and I think the uh the two the, the theme kept going from there. Gave way to each other. So, what
1: are all the nicknames? If you if you went around the whole, the well, whole world here.
2: Well, to start, Blanco is Blanco because that's a great name in and of itself. Beautiful. We don't want to mess with it too much. Brown Sugar. I met him and was introduced to him as Brown Sugar. So, do you, do you refer to him as Brown Sugar when you guys are in private? I. I use that and his name Julian interchangeably completely. It's, there's no rhyme or reason to whether I call him one or the other. It's just whatever comes out in the moment. That's hilarious.
1: And um, So you're Sky Daddy at the drums, Brother Teresa, guitar.
2: Mm-hmm. We got and Blanco put- on the other guitar, and we got Mr. Freeze on Mis- the bass. Mr. Freeze.
1: Well, a large regular, let me tell you. A large regular. Shout out to David Freeze. Shout out to your whole band. You guys really killed it on the record, and um, I feel like uh, Justin Brower too really did a great job.
2: Oh yeah, I gotta give a so special he, shout out to Justin Brower for so, doing all the work. He so did he on
1: mixed it. and mastered
2: the whole album. Yep, that's that's a beautiful thing. Tracked it too. He tracked everything with us, but the drum parts gotcha. because it's very difficult to mic a drum kit in an apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but no, he really he really did a fantastic job. the The whole process deserves a ton of praise. And I think it speaks to your guys' character that, you know, you were recording um, an EP before this. And while you guys liked your sound, you said, the sound deserves better. You guys Mm -hmm. knew your sound deserved more. And I think from an artistic perspective, it's a very difficult decision to make. Especially when, you know, time and money are always a factor in those things, too. So, I commend you guys for having the balls
2: to say, no... We deserve better. Thank you. I got to say, though, I'm very glad we did do that first attempt ourselves because it taught us a lot about the process of yeah. doing so. And some and uh, I had tried recording briefly on my own for uh, my friend Colin and uh, Shane the Train had Both, me sometimes. Colin plays, Montel. Colin Montel, yeah. Both former guests. Yep. There we go. And uh, they had me record some parts for their music. But this was the first time I was ever recording something that I had written on my own in part. That I, uh, that I had that special personal connection to the songs.
1: How interesting. So what, do you, what would you say you came away with the most in that first
2: attempt when it was just you guys? First and foremost, gear is very important. If you don't have the right gear to record it, you're not going to have what you want.
1: Well, I learned that very young when I tried to record drums without drum mics. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, so this just sounds like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty accurate. You know, um, it's something everybody's got to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole music making process is, is just such a joy to be a part of, whether it's on the creative aspect of writing or, you know, on the more pra- like practical aspect of mixing and mastering uh and all of you guys have been doing it for so long i know you and david played together for a long time and andrew the three of you were jamming together for a while uh before this band really came together
2: um oh yeah david's the uh first bassist i ever played along first person i ever played music alongside because with how i with how i started i've never had any real music training i didn't take part in the school bands I did a little bit of recorder in elementary school, <laughs> Oh, that's the closest yeah, were you, I were, had. You, were you top one percentile in recorder? Close, but Close. not fully there. <laughs> I could play a mean Mary had a little lamb, you know?
1: Oh, dude, I was good on, um, uh, not hot cross buns, uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That was my jam, my recorder jam. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: But that's why drums worked out as a very good instrument for me, because a lot... Because with a guitar or a saxophone or any of those, you need a lot, you need not a lot of music theory knowledge, but enough to know a certain number of scales, how a certain chord is formed and why those are the notes in the chord. With drums, it's just, it's all timing. It's all knowing when to hit a certain thing. And that is a lot more instinctual. You can do that without being able to explain it more.
1: So, I feel like there's when I look at music, I kind of see it as rhythm, melody, h- and harmony, right? But I think where you're right, where drums are pretty much focused in rhythm, I feel like what the drums are doing have a heavy influence, at the very least on the melody, let alone the harmony. Like, in my experience, and like playing with drummers, like if I had a guitar part or a vocal part, but then I played it with a certain drummer, there'd be something about how the drummer played where I'd be like, wait a minute, maybe I should do this or that something else kind of just came more naturally. So I, I, that's, that's something that has always intrigued me about drums is you're right that it is like primarily rhythm based, but it it's in any good rock band. I believe it's the balls of any song. The drums are the balls of every song.
2: That's a very good way of putting it. You know, but I would say that one of the most important parts of drumming is it's not what you're playing. It's not the cool roll on the snare. It's not the bottom triplet you're playing on the toms. It's, uh, it's the, what you don't play. The spaces you leave in the music is where the melody is able to come out. It's how you go a bit softer in the chorus so the vocals can actually shine. Or in the guitar solo, playing a more straightforward, simpler part so Andrew can go nuts and everybody hears it properly. That's, uh, that's the one thing I had. It took me a while to learn that.
1: Well, that's part of working as a team, right? And I think that's part of like what can make playing in a band so special is you all, you all learn chemistry, right? Or you learn, in some senses, a common courtesy. You know, where maybe your drum part has to take a back seat so that Andrew can shine through. You know, it's learning to almost like dance and switch leads with the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I think all of you do quite well because I come away from every show feeling like each one of you genuinely shine through the performance, you know? And there are times where all of you are just like in unison doing your thing miraculously together. And there are times where one of you comes forward. And and like and drives. It's just you guys have a very interesting dynamic, and I, I can't I can't sing enough praises about it, to be honest. So I, I have to ask: with this EP out, these shows coming up, where's Brown Sugar and the Blind Albino's going from here? Because I know you guys dropped an EP, but I know you've been working on some new songs. Where how's the sound evolving? I guess, and where where do you see your guy see yourselves the, coming this winter spring?
2: Well, uh, for the EP, it's funny you mention that because we had... The original plan was to release seven songs on the EP that we had fully written and ready to go. And we looked at two of them and we said, you know what? We like these. We're going to record these at some point. We want more time. We want to get the specific licks down. We want to know when David should pull off or go in harder. And so the EP ended up a bit shorter. But it also means we've got another three or four originals that we're almost ready to record already. Now, we're not going to do that just yet. We want to get some shows under our belt. Mm -hmm. Recording is important. Having the music is great. I'm so happy we made the EP. But the process of recording is a lot of work and a lot of playing the same part over and over again until you're sick of playing it.
1: Dude, and the worst part about that is like not only are you sick of playing it, you're sick of hearing it. And because you're sick of hearing it, you almost kind of question your own, um, you question, you question your own competence. You question your own creativity. You question your own ability. Um, usually you're able to snap out of it, but did you find that that was happening to you at all at at any point? Did you say to yourself like, Oh, I could have done more on this song. Oh, I should have done this after hearing it for like the hundredth time
2: oh yeah yeah that's the big thing because of the drums you have to record separately you have Mm -hmm. to go into an actual not like a full-on sound studio where they're gonna charge thousands of dollars to record but you have to record with eight or nine microphones on the drum kit and somebody mixing it live who knows what they're doing which means you gotta pay good money for it so we did the takes pretty quickly i think i knocked them out in like one giant eight hour session (whistles) Which, wow. I gotta say, my, my arms felt like jelly at the end. <laughs> That's a I full day's work, dude. The, the next day, I was, uh, I can't remember what I was trying to do. I think, uh, I think one of my cousins had a tree that he had just taken down. They were trying to chop into small pieces, and I, I couldn't do anything. Oh, I my goodness. I was
1: useless, and I felt
2: horrible. Did you at least eat well?
1: Oh, yeah. After that after that day, you must have eaten like a champ, because you were probably sweating, too. If your arms felt like jello, that means you were sweating up a storm, baby. Mm-hmm.
2: But the other part about the drums is that that's usually the first thing you want to lay down because yes. it's the rhythm and you want to put everything else on top of it which means that I heard all of my parts over, over and, and over again and I wasn't able to change it much so I would hear something I would be like yeah did I play that do I know, do I know how to play this instrument <laughs>
1: Bro, I hate that film, man, but it's, it creeps up on you every time. There's nothing you could do about it. That's why I can really empathize with your position there, where you're like, you know, you may have three or four songs in the bank already, but it's going to be a bit before you guys record again. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to get out there, play some shows, showcase the stuff, start peacocking. Yeah. You know,
2: spread those tails <laughs> out. Let people see the color, baby. Exactly. Oh, man. But uh, the, the one thing is that it, My parts, they sounded wrong when I was listening to them when we only had part of the bass part done, part of the guitars. But as everybody finished their parts, my parts sounded better. They sounded more in place with everything coming around it as we recorded. Ah. And by the time we finished up, something that sounded horrendous that I was embarrassed to have in the song sounded great all of a sudden. And I was able to go back to uh, the months before when I had recorded and say, oh, that's why I did that that's why i played it that way and it fits in great
1: that's a total mind fuck dude yeah that's quite a wave to go through but you know where i can't empathize with you is that you brought up a good point that you're the drummer so your parts get laid down first and then you not only hear them over and over and over again on your own end but when the bassist is laying down parts you're hearing it with the guitarists when you guys are doing vocals i never thought of it like that that's crazy, man. What's it What's it like when you all you guys are playing together? Like when you guys are practicing and hanging out? You guys have a very like kind of chill atmosphere or are you guys like
2: really set in and focus? What's it like? Well, I'd say there's two different kinds of practices we do. There's 95% of the practices where we're getting together. We're playing the songs we want to perform or our new songs that we want to record eventually. And we have a lot of fun with that. We'll try new things that we normally wouldn't do just to see how they sound. And sometimes they'll sound great and everybody will look over and go, oh, nice. And sometimes they sound horrible. And if it's me doing it, sometimes I'll just stop. I'll have to stop playing because I'm like bent over laughing in my chair. Like, okay, that's, that's my bad, guys. But uh, it's really cool, especially uh, we have certain parts in the songs With all the band members, but but particularly because of the rhythm section with me and David, Mm. where we try to play parts that sync up to each other, if not the rest of the band. And when we can nail something like that, perfectly timed, perfectly played, it's really—it's a hard feeling to describe. It's really euphoric. (sighs) Beautifully put, my
1: friend. Beautifully put. Thank you. But uh, when you guys aren't playing music or talking music what do you guys what are you guys generally doing
2: uh sometimes we're uh just hanging out talking about what we want to do sometimes we'll meet up at david's and play some poker or some smash brothers which Uh,
1: who's the best poker player out of in the band and who's the worst
2: best poker player is on a on a i think my answer is on a on one of david's good days he's the best poker player and on one of David's bad days, he's probably the worst.
1: Yeah, because you know what he does is he 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 loves that move of going all in in the beginning, just to measure up his dick. And when it works in his favor, he becomes the king quick. But when it doesn't, ah, uh, I'm coming for you, David. One of these next poker days, because <laughs> he kind of no. he fucked my day up at the last poker poker night I went to. So I definitely see David being top tier in your
2: gang. Who's bottom? Who who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing? uh when we started playing it was andrew because he was learning how to play i think through playing poker and red dead redemption it's a start <laughs> What what is with you guys and learning shit in video games <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea but it was, was worked bad. out because now he's pretty good uh i if i have to say who's the worst now i'd probably say blanco just from lack of experience but oh man you gotta just see a big part of poker is you just gotta see enough hands to know Somebody, the kind of crazy stuff that can happen. Andrew should let him borrow Red
1: Dead for a while <laughs> so he could it's practice. A, it's a very good idea. <laughs> All right, in Smash,
2: who's the best Smasher among you, and who's the worst? David is definitely the best. You we, you've seen him. David's in, these in the tournaments. tournaments.
1: He's a playoff contender every time he's here. Man, Dave, David can run it. David's good. He's you know he's one of the guys who's like he keeps coming. He keeps just missing the belt. He keeps just. I don't know if he ever talks about it, but he keeps oh, just. No.
2: I was here the one time he got to the finals against Dan, and he
1: killed himself. Yep,
2: he oh, had. Oh my god! And as far as worst goes, I would. If you had asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would say myself. But uh, I've been I've been practicing. I mean, against my seven year old cousin who usually dunks on me. No, but... like <laughs>
1: seven year olds can fuck fucking run shit and smash. Man, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I was seven years old once, Ooh. but that's uh, it's pretty hilarious. Um, Smash tournaments. We may have had our last Smash tournament in this apartment. Yeah, I can't believe that. Can't believe that. So they're gonna be they're gonna be moving and uh, probably spaced out a little bit more. But uh, J Rob would be the final reigning champion in this apartment if it's that. If it is so, if it is so, um. But yeah, we'll just uh whether wherever I end up, uh we'll know in a, we'll know in like a week. Mm-hmm. It'll be a it'll be a fun reunion. It'll be a nice fun reunion. So what are you doing, Jimmy, when you're not playing drums with the band and you know
2: playing rock band at home for <laughs> for old time's sake? Oh no, I had to stop playing rock band because I couldn't. Because you have to play the rock band drums pretty soft, so that you don't break them, and. Well, you've seen me play a real drum kit before. Yeah, you're not a soft player. No, I've... And part of it is that I have to match the style to the band. I have to play a certain intensity because David plays a certain intensity and Andrew plays a certain intensity and Blanco's a metalhead, so he's he's playing hard no matter what we do. But uh, I've done some softer stuff before, like the recordings with Colin are a lot more soft rock. He's a, he's a big Steely Dan fan. So.
1: He just dropped an album, too. I think we should mention that. Colin just dropped an album, too. I haven't gotten a chance to listen yet. Uh, I think we're going to listen tomorrow. But uh want to give a shout out to that, too.
2: Oh, yeah. No, it, yeah. it came out great. I had only heard the Scratch versions when he was trying to oh, tell so you, me. Oh,
1: so you've listened.
2: I, I drummed on it? some of the tracks. for. Oh, oh,
1: shit. Well, look at this. We get a double whammy. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. So tell me about
2: that record. What is that like? It was a lot different from doing it with the Blind Albinos because, uh, this was, he had ideas for the parts and there's, there's this one computer program, Guitar Pro, Mm -hmm. where you can make your own, like, tabs and stuff. So he had the guitar part he wanted lined up Uh. and he played it based off what he wrote. He had the bass part, same way. And then he had drum parts, but he, and he's been teaching himself how to play drums out in Seattle, so he's been getting a lot better, but, uh. He had ideas for drum parts but not concrete full on parts cuz he didn't know certain patterns and stuff like that. Okay. And so I it was nice cuz I had some freedom in how I played. It was definitely a I had to match the song, I had to match what he had in mind, but he gave me some liberties. Some some wiggle room exactly. to do your
1: thing. That is cool. That's a cool gig, man. Cuz like somebody did the homework for you and you're just you just um you're just doing the grammatical corrections. <laughs>
2: exactly that's a very
1: good way of putting
2: it. (laughs) you're you're the red pen basically Mm -hmm. but those we those were very different recordings in that we just uh took four mics to my drum kit in my bedroom and recorded like that he had he brought his laptop over oh yeah we did it how we tried to do the blind albinos ep originally okay but he had he has a lot more experience doing that stuff than any of us in the band so it came out you know a lot better yeah Colin's been doing that for a while
1: mm-hmm. Colin's been doing that for a long time He's a very talented guy man
2: He really is I've, I've known him all my life And I hadn't talked to him very frequently For a, like a year or two And all, and one day he talks to me He's like oh yeah you want to come over and jam I'm like you play guitar? <laughs> I had I had no idea And we started playing We had a lot of fun We'd bring uh Shane the Train in to play the bass for us Shane the Train and we'd just go. It would, we had a lot of fun doing that.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. Um, and I'll post something probably on Instagram once I do. Give him a nice little shout out. Uh, anybody else we know dropping any
2: records? Seems, seems to be a hot, <laughs> a hot fall for it. I, uh, I can't say anything concrete, but I just yesterday I was talking to Shane the Train and he said he was writing some stuff. I'm not sure that's going to get released soon or not, but I'm very excited to hear it. I'd be
1: very happy to hear some Shane
2: stuff. Shane taught me a lot about how to play with other people. For a while, we never played any shows or did any actual recordings, but we were in a a two-piece band called The Gray Squares. The Gray Squares? It was was a two-piece, so we modeled the name after the white stripes and the black keys. (laughs) I like that. And so we just meet up and go into his basement. And uh, just go for it. Just play. And with only two instruments, there's a lot more empty space. So you can really play with, yeah. You can really just go in on it, have a lot of fun, play whatever you want. And it taught me a lot about what I can do with other, because this was right when I, because of how I picked up the instrument, most of my playing for the first three, four years was on my own, whatever I was listening to or just trying to practice certain drum rudiments. So this was, was uh, this was one of the first experiences I had with another person. And Shane was so, he was very patient. He was easy to work with.
1: Well, I was going to say, not only that, and just from watching Shane as a performer, brilliant, brilliant performer, mind you, but the guy has a blast when he plays and that's contagious. It is. And that's a good thing to be around when you're learning for the first time how to play with somebody for someone like Shane who just, you know, oozes positive vibes and has a blast whenever he's playing. That's the kind of person you want to learn around. That's something that you learn through music too, man. It's such a universal language. I remember once when I was, um, I was commuting home from college. I was taking the train home. I just had a guitar on my back. And then this random dude who was at the train station, never saw in my life, comes up to me. He's like, guitarist, huh? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I play keys. And then, and this guy must be like 55 years old. We got on the train and I used to dread this fucking train ride. Cause it was like an hour and 45 minutes from Beacon, New York down to uh, grand central station. And then I'd have to walk to Penn station. But I sat next to this guy who I'd never known, you know, never met. And him and I had an hour and 45 minute conversation about music back and forth about guitar and keys. And the ride felt like 10, 15 minutes. And it's like, I don't have many things in my life that I could just pick up a stranger and be able to do that with.
2: Yeah, music's a beautiful thing in that respect. It really
1: is. It's really something special. And I enjoy it. You ever jam with someone you don't know, like on a whim?
2: Actually, with, with Shane, he had brought me... He was taking classes at Nassau in the jazz band. Okay. And he had brought me to one of his friend's houses in the jazz band, a guitarist and a bassist. And so we go in, and the bassist is warming up to... Portrait of Ch- Tracy by Jaco is Really difficult stuff. The guitarist is doing nasty things. And I'm like, uh, I've played with Shane before and I've played with David before. And that's it. This is going to be an experience. And they go, oh, what song do we want to warm up to? And one of them says, oh, let's warm up with YYZ by Rush. Oh, my God. <laughs> warm up with YYZ? <laughs> yeah. Holy fuck. And thankfully, that was one of those songs at the time that I would practice on my own i'd butcher it but i'd at least be able well, to Neil part is a
1: tall order dude for yeah. any
2: drummer neil pert is a tall order
1: i'm so sad he's not touring with rush anymore uh, I'm yeah that's, i never got to see all i never got to see all three of them
2: that's one of that's one of my biggest regrets for not seeing a band is not going to see rush while they were going around
1: well you know what it is Is like they've had the same lineup for like over 40 years now i just only assumed they'd be there
2: yeah i just always assumed they'd be there Uh and I, you know what i've been doing the same thing with stevie wonder i've been taking for granted that he's just been a fixture of music for you know half a century and i he'll in, in my mind i know at some point he's got to pass on or retire but like just i don't... can't fathom it it doesn't yeah because he's
1: just always been there and he's always been there for our parents too to speak to that point so it's like this is transcending generations at this point,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who's some of your favorite older artists from from say maybe our parents' era? Mm.
2: Well, I will tell you, I was raised by a Deadhead, so by a Deadhead. So that's always been oh, first right. and foremost. Anytime we go on a vacation, if we're dropping my brother off at college, the entire ride is just live Grateful Dead shows that he's got saved on his iPod, which wow. makes my dad the only person who's not computer com- like. Literate enough to have social media, but simultaneously computer literate enough to be torrenting stuff.
1: <laughs> Dude, yeah, but human beings are fucking flexible. Your they dad, are. your dad, your dad is technically able, more able than he would like to think. Oh, but yeah. he needs his fix. He needs his <laughs> live dead, and you'll do whatever it takes to get that fix. He doesn't even realize the potential in like if you're able to torrent and pirate, you could do a lot of shit on the internet. Mm-hmm. Let alone social media. This guy could be making wick sites at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, but the the one thing he always says is it's uh it's a lot more difficult than it used to be to go to a live performance for a musical act. He for what particular reason did he say? Price. Price. Yeah, no, I believe it. I believe it. You know, when the when the Dead were touring back in the 80s even into the 90s, the tickets were $6, $10. And you'd go, and they'd play five or six nights in a row at the Coliseum. And you'd go as many times as you wanted. But that, but uh, he's always big, and I've looked into it a bit, that the people to blame for the ticket prices spiking are the Eagles. That uh, they, The band had split up, and uh, one of the band members had said, we'll tour again when hell freezes over. And then they found out how much money they can make from a reunion tour and they called it the hell freezes over tour and started charging like 60-70. And this is decades ago. And tickets have just spiraled up in cost since. But at the same time the artists have to do this cuz
1: that's the only way they make money.
2: Yeah, who's buying albums anymore? No one,
1: no one's no and even when they used to people used to buy albums, the record companies pocketed everything. Oh yeah. Artists would barely see a nickel from record sales. The live shows were always how they were making their money. So I get that, like, prices needed to be inflated because they got to get paid. But it is hard to spend over $50 on a concert when, say what you will, there's amazing talent playing for much less now. Oh, yeah. But a lot of these older acts are expensive to see.
2: I'm proud to say that my first show was... uh... I think it was like a $30 ticket at Terminal 5 to see Rise Against with Bad Religion opening.
1: Oh, talk about punk rock, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good lineup. Rise Against and Bad Religion.
2: How was that show? It was... Inc- it was- Honestly, it's still one of my favorite shows all these years later. And I've God, seen dude. bands I listen to a lot more since then. But that's still one of my favorites because uh, I think it was Four Years Strong was the opener for the opener. And that was my first experience with any sort of mosh pit.
1: Oh my and goodness. Here
2: I am, like five foot four, 15 years old, skinny as a rail, <laughs> getting thrown around. <laughs> and I got, but I got, yes, I don't think I hit the ground once because there was always someone pulling body. you back up. Yeah, there's always a body or somebody there. And the, everybody in the audience was very good. Nobody wanted anybody getting hurt. It was just have a blast.
1: No, there's a fine line between more of those pop punk or punk rock mosh pits and some of the like post hardcore hardcore mosh pits where people are, I've been to some shows where some of those dancers are deliberately trying to hurt people Mm -hmm. and you know, say what you will, maybe it's just a different crowd. Maybe there's somebody who pays to see that as opposed to the band, but I'm always in favor of like the punk punk rock ska kind of mosh pits where everyone's kind of in it together, you know? And you find the shortest or smallest person in the crowd. And hey, let's just throw them in the
2: air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, so Four Year Strong came on. That was my first experience with a decently sized pit up front. And then Bad Religion came out and it, the pit got bigger and all the older oh, guys God. are getting really into it. And the band themselves, they had to be in their 40s at this point, but they're going hard on stage. Punk keeps you young, bro. It does. Punk keeps you young and uh so that was another level of punk show and then rise against came on and the whole floor descended into chaos at once and i I, my eyes were opened in that moment and that was right around the time i had first started to play on an actual drum kit and i'm thinking whoa this is i gotta i gotta keep going on this i gotta work harder on it
1: it's powerful dude
2: Cause as cool as it was from the floor, floor, I still wanted to be on the other side on the stage. That looked even cooler to me at the time.
1: I'm in the same boat. I I was always drawn to that too. But at the same time, it's nice to sit and watch some fucking legends do it like do it like they do it every night. I once went. I think my I think when I was around that age when I was starting to get into music, like 14, 15. Because I'm like you. It's like I played trumpet, and you know, there's a piano in my house. And I knew some basic piano stuff. But I didn't really start getting into, like, guitars and, like, rock music until I was about, like, 14, 15. And I went to uh, Carlos Santana and Allman Brothers concert. And it was insane, man. That's when it hit me. Because the Allman Brothers broke out into this, like, 15-minute jam where it's like, my mind was blown. It's like, are they telepathically communicating? Because they're switching chord progressions on a whim they're they're switching tempos on a whim. All of them, and none of them were falling out of sync. And I was just blown away. I'm like, there's something else going on here. There, there's something that our
2: eyes can't see that's happening here, you know? Oh. Yeah, and I felt the same thing listening to all those dead. Sh- By the way, Santana and Elm that's an incredible su- show. That's it was a, a gift. That's, wow. Yeah.
1: Jones Beach Theater, too. Oh, Which I have beautiful. such a soft spot for that venue Because mm-hmm. I've seen so many good shows there And it's just nice that you're you're on the beach
2: You're on the beach If it's we're gonna live on the view. island yeah, you, gotta you gotta take it. advantage of it yeah.
1: <laughs> You ever forget that we live on an island sometimes? Yeah, it's happened to me before Bro, it's insane I have to remind myself I don't know, maybe it's just a human thing Because you can't see beyond the freaking trees So it's like if you can't see water Maybe you never feel like you're on an island <laughs> But I don't know I mean, no. I've been to Puerto Rico. It felt like I was on an island. when I was in Puerto Rico. But
2: there's something different about being on a vacation, like in Puerto Rico, where you know this isn't normal. This yeah. isn't regular. That's
1: a good point. I've normalized the islander feeling. Oh, very interesting. But what do you got going on for yourself, Jimmy? What? 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 what are you, what's keeping you busy these days outside of the band?
2: Uh, recently I've been uh. And this is an experience that I haven't had to deal with in a while. My I have a bunch of cousins who all all my family they're either like 10 20 years older than me or 10 20 years younger than me.
1: Okay, so you're you're in a weird spot.
2: Yeah, so I have cousins who are raising their kids now and I'm still young enough to remember being uh, that younger age. So I get along not better with them, but I I can understand where they're coming from a little bit more. So they had me working with one of my cousins because he's just starting to play soccer. And based on the goalie jersey I'm wearing, that was always my sport. You were a goalie, weren't you? Mm hmm. Back in the day? Yeah. Uh, that's how That's how far back you and
1: my brother go, right? You guys were on the same soccer team
2: all from, the way in, from all from the how way in old? kindergarten.
1: Kindergarten, Jesus Christ. And now you're on my fucking futon. Mm hmm. Oh, never mind. It feels like an island again. <laughs>
2: Yep, but uh, and I and I enjoy showing my younger cousins all this stuff, and they're not old enough yet to grasp full on techniques and stuff. But I show them, you know, you gotta kick the ball. You want to keep it close to you, but not so close that it chokes you. But I've also been talking to uh their parents, and I've been saying, look, there is a lot of great people out there, a lot of great parents who volunteer to coach, mm-hmm. a lot of great parents who just go to the sidelines and cheer on everybody. I gotta say. My favorite, my favorite parent cheering the my teams on was always your mom. Yeah, she was always so positive. And I came from a team before I started with that team where the parents would openly tell their kids different instructions from the coach on the sidelines. scream them out. And I've been that's try- hard to deal with. I've been trying to tell my older cousins, like, look, you got to make sure when you sign your kid up for a team that the coach, you know, cares about the kids. That he's not there because my son is going to be the best soccer player, the best baseball player ever. And when your son gets the ball, he should just pass it to my son so he can score the goal.
1: Yeah, dude, it's scary how political like kids sports could be. But you are speaking truth that that is it really do be like that sometimes. (laughs) It really do. Because there are there are some dudes out
2: there who want to vicariously live through their kids because, you know,
1: they they never became Sammy Sosa,
2: you know. And I've, I've talked to friends, and you see it even more with sports that aren't as popular, but the parents think, oh, if my kid can get very good, they can get into college on a scholarship. So I got to ride them hard. And I remember growing up, I had one friend. He lived and breathed baseball. Loved it. Watched it all the time. Every day I'd walk the 100 feet to his house, and he'd be throwing the ball against a little backstop. I'm just catching it over and over again. And when we were about 13, 14, he quit just out of the blue. Wow. Didn't even tell me I'd found out from my coach and I ran over. I'm like, what, what, what happened? And he goes, look for past eight years, all my dad has been doing is riding me to practice more and more. I should do it this way. If I'm not getting enough playing time on this team, I should switch teams. And enough was enough. I had to, I, I said if you don't stop I'm going to quit. And his dad apparently didn't believe him and he just quit. Spent 2 years without touching a ball until he finally said, "Okay, maybe I'll try again if you, dad, don't bug me about it. If you let me enjoy it." Cuz when we're that age, in the in we all we'll all say, "Oh, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to Yeah, we the... all anyone who's played a sport and
1: did it moderately well has had that thought.
2: But at the end of the day, we're doing it cuz we're having fun with it exactly because I love kicking a ball or throwing a ball, and I love playing a sort of like being a bad. I love playing the soccer game with eleven other guys, and we win together, we lose together.
1: It's a camaraderie thing, man. We're social creatures. We we get off on that kind of stuff. It feels good. It's rewarding, you know, and it builds relationships, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got the I got my softball team I play with on Sundays, and I've everyone on that team I've gotten closer to. I'm closer to them now than I was before the team started. That's a cool thing. I'm sure it's the same thing for you and the guys in the band. Oh, yeah. You know? Of course, you're so much closer to guys like Blanco or Brown Sugar, guys you may not have known uh, before the band got started. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's the kind of stuff that, at least me personally, that's why I love getting involved in things. Mm-hmm. That's why I love being on a team and stuff.
2: Oh, yeah. I still have guys who uh, from my old soccer teams. We're talking 10 years ago who if I see them randomly at a bar or at a show or something, it'll be like I have I saw them yesterday. Yeah. Where I have just I just know them well enough that we can just start talking again like that and it won't be an issue.
1: Dude, when uh, Charlotte and I, uh, we went to this taco spot um, out near Franklin Square just to grab dinner one night. And we get there and the guy who's serving us, he recognizes me. We played travel baseball together and he was like, I know you. And he hooked us up with, like, free food the whole way, you know? Yep. And oh, stuff like that, man. Stuff like that. And now I know I got to pay it forward if I ever see, like, an old, like, at baseball buddy somewhere. It's like if I'm in a position to hook him up, now I got to hook him up and keep the chain going. Oh, my goodness. I even have old jamming buddies who, who hit me up from time to time. You know, always ask, how you doing? Are you pumping out any new music? Stuff like that. It's cool, man. We're nodes and networks.
2: And we attract the people who are most like us. You mm-hmm.
0: know?
2: I had wanted to say this before, but it slipped my mind. One of my first experiences of looking at a drummer live and saying, oh, that's really cool. I'd love to do something like that. Was at one of your uh, Saving Serenity shows at the Ethical Humanist Society with, with Kevin McBride behind the kit.
1: Kevin fucking McBride behind the kit. You know what? Another thing to drop. His new band. Just dropped the fucking record, Bane Marie. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have links when the YouTube video comes out to everybody's fucking shit. But uh, Bane Marie, uh, definitely check them out because Jimmy speaks truth. The man can
2: fucking rip. Yes, he can. Yeah, it was it was really cool, and you know there weren't hundreds of people like a full on show, but that made it even better. That made was more I heard, intimate, yeah. It was more intimate. I heard everything just a little bit clearer. I was able to see, because, you know, I was a short guy back then. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there were rows of people in front of me. And you guys were just having a blast. You were enjoying yourselves. You were yeah, in tune with about. each other.
1: Yeah, You
2: know, those were good
1: days. Shout out to Justin Brower. Um, was this the David Freeze or John 2 era? Do you recall?
2: Uh, On the bass. I believe, I know for sure I saw David on the bass, but I went to a couple, so I may have seen one or gotcha. two with John too. Well, shout
1: out to David Freeze and John 2, and then Kevin McBride, my dude. So
2: That was David's first band, right?
1: Yes. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And my, to see him go from having to be shown his bass parts to what he is now. Miraculous. You have to love it, man. You can do anything you set your mind to. And that's the mm-hmm. truth. Cuz he's another one who kind of got started late. He didn't really start playing until he was like 16, 17. And Jesus Christ, look at him now. He's probably playing before then. David, don't, you know, don't <laughs> quote me on that. But yeah, he's another one, dude. If you just set your mind to something, you can fucking you can learn to rip it. You can learn to rip it. What? Did you want to be a goalie when you were a kid? Was that was that the dream? Was that the athletic dream?
2: That was, it started because my coach said, hey, we need someone to stand in a goal for a whole game. And I saw it as, oh, I get to play the whole game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I found out, I figured out I loved it and I just wanted to keep going. But, uh, yeah, I definitely I definitely thought like, oh, this is what I want to do. I'd love to be a professional goalie.
1: I was like that with baseball. I was like that with baseball. But then like once you get to that like thir- 13, 14, 15 age reality really hits you and it's like, eh. And maybe even before then, but you're just like, I'm not a, I'm not, at least baseball wise, I wasn't a gorilla. Like, you know, you want, you all got to do is watch a little league world series and you see these motherfuckers
2: and you're like, okay. The, the big thing, the first time I realized I wasn't going to be a professional goalie, I was maybe like 12 <laughs> or so. And, uh, I was watching. One of my one of my father's work friends, I had gone to a game because I had a tournament the same weekend at the same place and they just happened to be playing before and my dad was talking to his work buddy there. And I saw that the goalie was like taller. My dad's six foot three. The goalie was taller and he was Jesus. really good. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm never going to be that tall. <laughs> so this is probably not going to work out. I happen to pick the one position with a height requirement.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, I see that everybody hits that with basketball, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that one, it's 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 hard to get your hopes up if you're not six four, basketball wise. I always sucked at basketball, man. So did I. That that one, I, that's the sport I could never really get that good at. I was okay at soccer, did well in baseball, couldn't do basketball for the fucking life of me.
2: Basketball and uh, hockey, I I tried them both, and I was no good either. Fair. I love I love both sports, but I just can't play them. <laughs> You ever try lacrosse, Long Island LAX? I haven't. I did not try lacrosse. Something, something about I. I think there was too many similarities between being a goalie in lacrosse <laughs> and a goalie in soccer that I was just like, yeah, you know what, one's good enough. One's good enough.
1: <laughs> well, you know what it is? the lacrosse ball? You can't help but have that ball pelted right at you. Yeah. In soccer, they are trying to keep it away from you.
2: In soccer, you have you know, ten guys in front of you. And uh, depending on how your team is, you trust them a good deal to get it away from you. And I was blessed that my main central defender was your brother. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, he's got it. Yeah,
1: Chris. Chris was a hell of a defender. Oh, my goodness. All right. Jimmy, I got a question for you. Do you believe in aliens?
2: Uh, Are we talking intelligent life or just life?
1: Both. Start with one. I
2: I think both. Yeah, I do. You think both? Do you think we've spoken? to the aliens i i don't believe that i don't believe that we ever have
1: me neither now when you think alien are you thinking a species from outer space or are you thinking that there might be like living entities at frequencies our senses can't uh process
2: i'm thinking more outer space but i didn't even consider that
1: that's what i've been thinking lately
2: you know because there's so much there's so much more going on than
1: we're able to notice
2: Mm -hmm. you know yeah no every time i see some uh you know nasa setting up a new giant telescope or something like that the first thing i think of is it's going to be incredible to see all that and at the same time we're seeing so little yeah it's so true
1: dude it's so true that's why we haven't seen any life because really the only place we've looked in our backyard you know, it's like going to your backyard, you don't see any other humans setting up a house in your backyard like there's no other humans. <laughs> but then that squirrel comes and you start thinking.
2: <laughs> you know, maybe maybe in a couple million years that could be a human <laughs>
1: What are these giant squirrels? So I gotta <laughs> ask you I gotta ask you, um, the famous lodge question. I don't know if you know what's coming. I do. You do. Jimmy Toshember. Will you Put a chip in your brain to enhance your cognitive ability and thereby be chip gang, or will thou resist? I'm chip gang. 100%. You are 100% chip gang. Please lay this out. I think you're the first person to like confidently be like, I'm chip gang.
2: Well, the first thing I always thought of, and you had asked this for the Catan cast. I did. And my response, I think, was... If I could get a metronome that's playing in my head 24-7 to make me keep time better, that's – I'm doing That's it. it. That's, that's all it would take. That, that's all you need to sign me up for it.
1: But then, Jimmy, why can't you just do that with your cell phone
2: and some headphones? Why do you need the chip? Well, first, that would destroy my cell phone battery. But uh, – <laughs> Oh, shit.
1: I didn't even think
2: of that. <laughs> but more than that, it's – if the chip's there and doing it, I don't think about it. It's just doing it. If I have to set it up, then I'm going, oh, God, am I really going to listen to a metronome for 24 hours here? That's fair
1: enough. It would be something you could pull off on a whim. Is there
2: anything else that's appealing
1: about it to you, or is it just the metronome?
2: I mean, there's definitely parts that's appealing about it. Having, I mean, it's one thing to have all the information in the world at your fingertips like we do with cell phones and the internet. It's another thing to just already have it up here and just be able to access it.
1: But here's where I'm with you. It's like you're 100% right. I find that appealing too, but what I can't look away from is like you're right, we could have all the information in the world like we have on our cell phone just in our head, but there's a lot of misinformation on that cell phone too. And now all that's going to be in my head. I for I, I can't help but look at the like the dark side of every of every pro. Oh yeah.
2: I don't know. No, it's that
1: it's it's complicated. It's a complicated question, which is why I ask it, but
2: Brain chemistry is already a very, very fickle thing. The tiniest changes could have the greatest effects in personality and attitude in the moment and just over a period of time. So to have something in there that could be affecting that, that's, that's a scary thought, you know?
1: Well, you know what's funny? You pointed to the back of your neck. Why'd you do that?
2: I would, I would think that it would go somewhere between the, uh, like right where the brain meets the actual uh, spine.
1: I'm going to reference three things right now. Because it seems to be a common thought, right? hmm That was the case. In, you ever see the old Spider-Man movies? Yep. Spider-Man 2, where yep. Doc Ock, he chipped himself. And that's how he got the cognitive ability to control the shit. In Pulp Fiction, do you remember Marcellus Wallace had a Band-Aid back there? Yep. Okay, The th- now the third reference, it's... Belie- I... I and. This could be across all religion but I know in the Bible it's written that the the devil will enter your soul from the back of your neck. Wow. Yeah, I
2: did and, not know that. And
1: that's why a lot of people think in pulp fiction what's in the case is Marcellus's soul because he's got a Band-Aid over where it would have been sucked out.
2: That's actually what I was just going to ask you. What do you think is in the
1: case? <laughs> I think Mar- I think I that's the best thing I can think of, but it's very possible that in that movie the case was written to just be ambiguous.
2: Uh knowing, knowing Quentin Tarantino, I would say that he was he was never going to admit to a single person what's in that case. Definitely
1: not, because that's how you get schmucks like you and I to be talking about it 25 years later. Like mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's yep. what you do. It's like in Inception, Nolan didn't let us know whether or not it was a dream. He kind of played with you a little bit, but we didn't get a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. Which, have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. Do you think it's a dream, or do you think do you think we made it back to reality? I think it's a dream. You think it's a dream? I don't he, think he made it out. You don't think he made it out? Even though the uh, the top teetered a little bit. Even though the top teetered. Very interesting. Do you are you one of those who you think the only thing that matters is that he was back with his kids at the end of the day? Is that's really the only thing that matters?
2: I don't think it's the only thing that matters in a general sense, like us looking at it. But to him, to him, to yeah. him, I think that's the only thing that matters. Well, that's
1: all. That's the only place he ever wanted to be. Yep. At the end of the day. So, what do you think, other than not seeing the top fall, is there something in the movie that's tipping you off to thinking it's still a dream? I, th-
2: I think the pa- fact that he's that paranoid about it. The fact that he's so concerned at all times about the fact that he could maybe not be in reality when he wants to be. I think he, at the e- by the end of the movie, he just wants it to be over. Yeah, he's th- he's gone he through that walks- whole ordeal with his wife. That's a good point. And he just wants it to be over. So at the end, he makes it so that in his mind, it is over. And I think
1: that's a very good point. You may be right. Because he spun the top and walked away. He didn't care to see whether the top stopped. He just Mm -hmm. went to go be with his kids. Because you're right. At the end of the day, he may have just wanted the whole fucking thing to be over. And the only thing that mattered was that you know he was back with his kids. Oh, my goodness. You see Nolan's doing another movie. And he cast Michael Caine again. (laughs) The guy takes like a five-year hiatus, but he's just right back to the
2: formula when he comes back. I believe it. That's, uh... Look, I will say, if you get the chance to work with Michael Caine, I can't say don't do it. That's... Even if you've done it 20 times already, just do it again. Just do it again. Speaking of which, did you see Joker? I haven't seen Joker yet, and I haven't seen El Camino yet. Those are the two things. I, I haven't got... seen
1: El Camino yet either. I, I still need to see that. I'm having my buddy on uh in the next week or so to literally we're just gonna talk about the Joker and break it down. But I we were gonna do it last week, but I was like, let's give people time to see it. Mm-hmm. You know
2: exactly. Let's
1: give people time to see it because I we I told them if we did it, we'd have to do it spoiler free. Uh, yeah,
2: you can no nah, exactly do it spoiler free. That's, that's kind of where we came from. Is lay it down. Um, that's actually going back to the end of Inception. That's my yeah. concern with El Camino. They left at a very ambiguous point for the two main characters the characters of the show. Jesse is just driving away down the road he's screaming free. in he's joy. Yeah. And Walt's, uh I mean, you presume he dies. Yes. Because he just collapses. But they don't show him full. Like, there's no guarantee he's dead. See,
1: I haven't seen it yet. I want him to stay dead. In my head, in my head, I had Walt dead because to me, that's Walt at peace. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want this nightmare to keep going for Walter. It's done. He made his family the money. He just let him die, like he thought he was going to all along. So I hope the movie keeps him dead, or at least keeps it ambiguous. If it really just focused on Jesse Pinkman and where he went from there, I think I think we'd be all right. I think I think there. I think that's a safe enough bet.
2: But to gamble on whether or not Walt is alive. That's a lot man. Yeah, but that's my worry about El Camino is that they wrapped they didn't they left their open ends but they wrapped everything else up. And it was a an ending I was very happy Me happy too. with. And now they're going to continue it. I'm excited, but at the same time I'm kind of iffy on it like maybe we should have let it be at peace.
1: I'm with you. I think maybe we should have let it be at peace. But if it's good at the end of the day if it's good cuz here's the thing I don't know about you. I always just kind of assumed like Pinkman got it together, but that he had to run away because like mm-hmm. his name was attached to, to the fu- to fucking um, Heisenberg. Yep. You know, he, he's, he was in chains at the end of the movie, but at the end of the series rather. So I always assumed that, you know, he got away like he did at the end of the show, but I always assumed that like he got it together and made an escape somewhere like he, he probably has to leave the state. And change his name or something. You know what I mean? So it was never going to be simple for Pinkman after Breaking Bad. So that's why I'm okay that maybe if they shine some light on it, we'd, mm-hmm. we'd be cool with it. And they could even leave it ambiguous at the end. Like the, mo- the movie could end with him just on the run and he's just ready to be on the run for the rest of his life or something.
2: Yeah. The one thing is that he, the one thing I imagine, I haven't, again, I haven't seen El Camino yet, but remember, he cooperated with Hank and, uh, and steve gomez at the end you're right but there's no evidence of that because all the evidence was with hank and steve gomez so he's not gonna get any credit for that with the dea with the law any sort of law authorities because they because remember marie wanted uh skylar to destroy all that that tape that uh and skylar made accusing hank of doing it all Mm -hmm. so every all the evidence is gone and if uh if that if they didn't take care of it, the Nazis sure they breaking into the houses. <laughs> oh my god! So Jesse's really uh he's in a
1: tight spot, which makes for a good plot. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have our predicament. You know, it's hard, man. Everything's gonna get a sequel now. There's no yeah. escape. There's no escape.
2: It's uh you know I love watching the Marvel movies, but at the same time I get some of the criticism that you know. There's a lot less creativity... Not less creativity, but less just mo- completely separate movies. No one's taking any risks. Mm-hmm.
1: No one's taking any risks. I don't want to say no one. I don't want to generalize. But for the most part, Marvel movies are relatively cookie cutter.
2: At phase one is an exception where they were trying to establish the universe, and they tried a bunch of different things, which... I mean, some of them didn't work, but I thought it was really cool just that they tried them all. Yeah, no. But I now know. once I- they found it, once they made the Avengers movie... They kind of found their... Where they wanted their to formula. be. Yep. Yeah,
1: no. I, I'm with you. Because I noticed in myself that this year... And maybe I've been doing it lately. I go to the movies to feel safe. And what I mean about that is I go to see Marvel. I went to go see fucking Toy Story. I'm going to see happy endings and stories that I've seen told before. Mm-hmm. But then I went to see Joker. And I was like, That's right. Cinema can leave me feeling other ways. It's almost like I had forgotten about other ways from cinema. And you know what I really miss? I genuinely miss like, solid, R-rated comedies in the summer.
2: Yeah. Where
1: has that gone, man? I think it's just people are, I guess right now, are afraid to offend anyone. So comedies kind of laying low cinematically. Definitely not stand-up-wise.
2: I'm not even sure it's that. Stand-up, yes. But as far as movies go, I think it's more... You make more money, a lot more money, off a PG-13 film than an R-rated film.
1: Maybe, because Joker's right. This is, this is a funny tie-in, because Todd Phillips is the director of The Joker. This is the guy who directed The Hangover. Mm-hmm. This is the guy, he loves making comedies, but he himself said, people are too sensitive right now, so instead of giving them a comedy, I'm, I'm going to give them Joker. Um, which has its funny moments, but make no mistake, it's not it's a comedy not a you're comedy. walking into. Make no mistake, it looks goofy, you know, the meme of him dancing on the stairs, but don't be fooled. Do not be fooled, folks. Um, And it's brilliant in the movie as it was, but I think it might have a lot to do with that because, you know, Joker's rated R and it's crushing at the box office. I think it's well over like 400 million at this point and they spent 50 million on the movie because there's no CGI, there's no crazy sets, no one got paid a boatload of money, it's very raw and mm-hmm. it takes place I think in 1981 and cinematically it looks that way so it looks like this was like a mob movie filmed in like the mid-80s maybe early 90s era but look I, I,
2: I will support anything that Joaquin Phoenix does at this point in his career he's he's been in the game for so long and he's just always been on it
1: you Ever did you follow him during his like rap career phase
2: I did not.
1: He, like, he did this thing where it was method acting, but he pretended to, like, completely lose his mind. He grew a giant beard, and he just, like, went at it in, like, the underground hip-hop scene. And, like, he was working with Casey Affleck on it. It was just this wild thing. They made a documentary. Um, That's, like, the last notable thing I can remember him doing before this film. I first remember seeing him in the movie Signs. Oh, swing really away, bad. Meryl! Yeah, scene, bro. As a kid, the scene where he beats the shit out of the aliens with a baseball bat, bro, because that was one of the first movies to genuinely terrify me when I was a kid. Yeah, Signs—that's one of the first times I remember being really scared during a movie. And watching Joaquin Phoenix beat the shit out of some aliens with a baseball bat made me feel safe. Made me feel real safe.
2: <laughs> Gives you that reassurance that they can be beaten down.
1: Well, you know, water. Water was the poison. (laughs) Oh, God. Look at that. We came full circle. We came right back to aliens.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well done. Wrapped with a nice bow there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: If you could pick one person in the whole world from any point in time to be the one to meet the aliens... Like, if you could pick humanity's first impression for the aliens, who would you pick? From anyone, from any point in time,
2: anywhere? Hmm. That's a very tough question. Because you want want someone who's, like, calm and collected. Collected. Yeah, exactly. But you also want someone who can show the aliens what we're about. We need someone sharp. You know, someone who isn't easily
1: manipulated. Mm -hmm. Definitely need to send someone who's got wit. Um...
2: Who'd you pick? Uh, off the top of my head, maybe like, it might have to be like, uh, Mark Twain or one of those early, late 1800s, early 1900s writers who Mark were- Mark Twain's not a bad choice. Someone who has a pulse on, not so much what all our technology and our knowledge now, but what humans strive to, what they believe, what they want.
1: Yeah, because you know, like poetry and art is like what we live for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I'd send Tesla, and I actually think those two together would be great.
2: It would that you get, get, you get both sides there.
1: Got science and art right there. Oh man, I hope we're I hope we're so lucky one day that we can make contact with other intelligent beings.
2: Mm-hmm. the The hard part is that every going back, everything we see, even the stuff we see in the faraway reaches, it's not just there; it's already happened long time ago yeah, that's a good point too. so now you don't just have to handle the distance barrier you have to handle the time barrier
1: yeah because you know like intelligent life is definitely something that's rare in the universe you'd have to hypothesize anyway just based on the the uh, sample size we have of what we've looked at there's no obvious sign of intelligent life anywhere so you have to think it's relatively rare if not just in space but in time Like
2: you're saying, Mm -hmm. and there's no there's no guarantee that something we see through the telescope that that society that uh, that species could not have just collapsed, and it could have been something they did. It could have been something just the planet could have been asteroid. Could have been asteroid. Could have been the planet just losing its uh, poles or whatever. There's a lot of way for it to happen. Like uh, they talk a lot about the Bronze Age, back in the you know like 1500 BC, and how the society just collapsed around the Mediterranean and they don't even know who did it they They don't know why
1: it could have been disease I know a lot of people think it might have been disease that ran rampant but there's no evidence of that outside of that little pocket usually disease could spread further than
2: that you know yeah they they think disease they think these mythical sea people (laughs) Aquaman (laughs) it's just chasing him a moment that's why
1: I don't miss (laughs) me That's why I don't make fun of Aquaman. That motherfucker he doesn't just talk to fish, he commands them.
2: Yeah, the Earth's 70% water. That's he's got most of it.
1: That's the other thing. Speaking of aliens, it's like there could I mean there could be like sea people. There could Like we don't know what's under there. We can't definitively say there's not sea people.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's you know, there's a reason why the expression a drop in the ocean is an expression. Yeah. And even in that drop, there's a ton of life. Microscopic, well, but.
1: Water. Water's got everything to do with it, I guess, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. That's why we're hyped when we find running water on
2: Mars. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you think Will ever got to Mars in our lifetime, or do you think that's something for the. The next squad.
2: Will we go there or will we establish communities there? Like, try actually living there for extended periods of time. Because I think we'll go there.
1: That one. Because, yeah, we're going to get there in the next 10, 20 years, I think so. But I think what you just said, you know, establishing communities, establishing, you know.
2: I think at the end of our lives, we'll see the very foundations being laid. Maybe they'll be transporting materials. But it's not a fast process. It's not one president or uh somebody decides we're gonna start living on mars and five years later they run their or three years later they run their re-election campaign on hey look we're living on mars now it's gonna take <laughs> it's gonna take a quarter of a century plus just to set up the basis would you go uh at that point in my life because we're talking like i'll be you know 80s 90s probably not <laughs> But if somebody offered to it to me now, what if they had the now, best retirement homes? What if they had a retirement
1: home with an N sixty four? If they have a Where'd retirement home with
2: an N sixty four and a drum kit, I <laughs> no, may I may band, be persuaded. Don't get your rock band. But if somebody offered to me now that I could live on Mars, I'd have to do it just to be able to say I live on Mars, just right. to experience set that. up the
1: music scene. It's <laughs> yes. the Mars music scene, but there's the MMS.
2: There is no way to do that here to establish a community that's uh for all the terrible things that the colonizers did when they came over the idea of establishing a brand new community and building it from the very ground up that's not something you could really do now
1: definitely and not And there's
2: there's a certain pride that says not only did I build my house this town this village would not exist if not for the work I put in and that's a sensation that I gotta say, I'm kind of envious of.
1: Yeah, no, because you're right. I think human beings are explorers, at like in their spirit. I think they're explorers and laborers. I think if at least, at least as like I think at least as men, like if you don't have something to work and put your heart into, I think it generally hurts, you know. Um, but I think we're explorers, and I think we're we're meant to move around and we like to discover things. Um, but pla- on a planetary scale, that's been taken from us. It's already been done.
2: It's old news. Mm-hmm. So, and the places that are left, you know, Siberia, the Canadian wilderness up north. There's not. It's not the same when you can't do much with what you've got. That's true. Because the land's just you know wasteland. But uh, humanity is very good at exploring in different ways now. Like even going full circle back to music, you've still got people trying ridiculous new things. We'll never run out of new
1: music. No.
2: Human beings won't let it happen. And it, it may change form. I know people always expect as a drummer that I'll be very strongly against most modern music because... it's A lot of it's electronic. and it's A lot, lot of electronic percussion out there. A lot of electronic, a lot of drum machines. But I, I don't see it that way. I I love the idea of playing with a drum machine and being able to create things that I can't do... With a pair of sticks.
1: I you're smart because you look at it as a different instrument. You look at it as a different engagement. And they're two different sounds, too. It's like electronic drums is never going to be a threat to you in Brown Sugar and the Blind Albinos. Nope. You know, because that's it's a different sound. It's a different style. It's a different approach. But at the same time, you're never really going to be a threat to a lot of electronic drums in a lot of EDM music. You know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It requires much more than a drum set because they're trying to, like, Pull out percussive sounds everywhere, so it's very interesting to look at them as two different instruments. Because I really, at the end of the day, I truly believe that's what they are.
2: Yep. And the craziest thing is when people on either side, on either instrument, try to go towards the middle. Like uh, that's mm. the the reason Doctor Dre is known as Doctor Dre, isn't be isn't just because of who he worked with. It's how he made his beats. And he would take a drum machine, and he would try to give it life by making sure you know when you work with a drum machine everything is grid style mm-hmm. you put the beat on the 1 you put the next beat on the 2 Dr. Dre would zoom in a lot and try to shift the beat just slightly enough that it sounds like someone's naturally playing it and that's a very very difficult thing to do that you don't make that it sound tedious like, yeah wow i didn't know that that's cool it's- interesting that's the big thing. When electronic instruments became big, uh, people weren't worried. Well, there were definitely people worried. Like, ah, oh, it's not real music playing. It's too static. Mm-hmm. Electronic flat. But they said the same thing about the electronic piano and the electronic bass, too.
1: Yeah. But, uh,
2: but the main thing was that uh, the one worry, and I think the one justified worry people had at the time, was that music was going to be too on the grid, too formulaic and for pop music i think that for certain artists that's true that every 10 years you'll see the same song sounding the same with the mm-hmm. same chords with the same duh, 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 drum beat mm. but overall there's so much you can do with electronic instruments and programmed instruments that i would never be able to play that as good as he is david would never be able to play on the bass like uh like trap music i know it's not everybody's thing but it's uh specifically on bass it's a completely different way to think of the instrument instead of having a bass line meandering through the song you've got a almost a punch to the face every time the bass hits and it's a very specific style and it's something that you know 20 years ago nobody would have been able to do You can't play like that, even if it sounds very simple. Even if it's you know, four notes in a sing in a measure, it's very you'd never be able to play it.
1: Well, kudos to you for able to see for being able to see the uniqueness in the other side. Be it that you're a live drummer, being able to see the uniqueness in electronic drumming and its utility. Um, But we do need to wrap this up. But before we wrap it up. I want to give you a second to sound off, remind people of where your shows are at, where they can find your EP, um, what they can expect to hear from you guys, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, So November 5th, as I said, we'll be playing at K.J. Farrell's at 9 p.m. Very excited for that show. On November 30th, you go a number of miles out east to St. James. We'll be playing at Comiskey Park. We're probably better baseball players than the White Sox right now. At this point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, time to be determined, but we're very excited. It's, uh, right by Andrew's birthday, so we're going to have a blast. We're going to, we're going to make sure he goes off. And, uh, going forward, long term, we'll probably see either another EP or album. We haven't even talked about what we're exactly doing with recording, but we've got new songs that we will be playing live that have not been recorded. And, uh, short to midterm future we have been discussing and ideas for a music video for one of our songs i'm not gonna tell you which one but uh expect that to be coming out not shortly but not too long from now
1: and where can they find you guys
2: uh we've got soundcloud you just have to look up brown sugar at the blind albinos facebook look up the same thing uh we're on instagram Mm-hmm. i can't think of the exact tag but i'm sure we can put but if you type
1: it, in brown sugar in the blind albinos you guys will it. come up same with youtube you guys are on youtube as well uh, at least that's where i've been listening to the ep a lot
2: yep and other than that i want to give a shout out to the rest of the band for generally being awesome and giving me an excuse to come on here and talk to you for <laughs> as long as we have and a very special shout out to justin brower for all the tremendous work he put in the man baby he carried our recordings there were times where we really thought we weren't going to get it done that we hit a rut somebody couldn't get that one part out and he really willed us forward so uh thanks a bunch justin
1: well shout out to justin shout out to the whole band brown sugar and the blind albinos november 5th their upcoming show kj farrell's give me there motherfuckers let's throw down Those of you who have been, you know how good a time it is. I don't need to tell you. You already know. Jimmy, thanks for coming on dude. Sky Daddy. Thank you for coming on, man.
2: Thanks for having me again.
1: Absolutely, dude. My pleasure. With all its galaxies,
0: and forever and ever and ever, whatever it is beyond that, what you might call God in the Western tradition or Brahman in Hindu philosophy or Tao in Chinese, Every one of us is really that, but we are pretending we are, and we are pretending with tremendous skill and deception. Who are you?